0: My name is Taz, and welcome to a special presentation of Middle Ground on Front Porch Report. This week, I and my fiance Dorcas gave a presentation on bridging the cultural divide in front of a live audience. We discussed how being from different cultures affected the way that we relate to each other and the things that we are doing to love each other in spite of the differences that our cultures bring about in us. I hope you enjoy this special episode. Welcome to Middle Ground. The report is in. All right, well, good evening, everybody, and uh, thank you all for Inviting us. I I was gonna say for coming out, but y'all are probably here every week and we're the guests, right? So uh, My name is Taz and this is my lovely fiance Dorcas and tonight we are going to discuss bridging the cultural divide specifically as it relates to Her West African context and my South or Southwest USA context and and the way that we do that And uh, we'll talk for a while. And then um, at the end, I think if there's time, we'll do a bit of a question and response sort of thing. So uh, be thinking of anything that you might want to ask either of us as we go through. And without further ado, we'll hop right into it. So uh, next slide. Like I said, my name is Taz, and I am from the Southwest USA. I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, the thing you gotta know about New Mexico is that it's not just that desert you have to drive through on the way to Colorado to go skiing. I know some of y'all probably went skiing over spring break and, you know, it's, it's more than that, you see, because we have beauty and majesty and great tastes and history. Albuquerque, where I was born, is actually the host of the world's largest hot air balloon festival. And you probably have you know, seen pictures of hot air balloons when you were a kid, but the real deal is just when there's thousands of thousands of these balloons flying all the way across the sky, the wind blows into this basin, goes straight up, and just sends them all over the place. And it's really quite a sight to see for weeks at a time as this festival is going on. Uh, New Mexico is also the host of the White Sands testing site, which back around World War II was where the Manhattan Project tested the first atomic bomb. So, you know, it might be a desert, but the desert served a purpose, right? And then finally, um, for those of you who like spicy foods, the best chilies in the world come from New Mexico. Uh, There's the Hatch Green Chili Festival and the Hatch Valley where Green chili and red chili come from. So, if you ever meet someone from New Mexico, they'll tell you you haven't had real chili until you've been to New Mexico. And then, obviously, I live in Texas right now and I've been here for a good portion of my life and all over. I lived in Lubbock and DFW area all the way down to Harlingen in the uh, Rio Grande Valley. Um, And I don't have to talk up Texas too much, it kind of speaks for itself. You know, you got Six Flags, which, fun fact, if you didn't know, was named for the fact that there have been six different national flags over Texas since colonial times. First, it was Spain, then France, then Mexico, then um, Texas declared independence, became its own country for a while. That's where the, the Alamo comes in. And then after that, the Confederacy during the Civil War, and finally the United States. And so that's kind of my context, that's where I come from. And like I said, I've, I've lived kind of all throughout this area um, over the course of my life. So Dorcas.
1: Yes, so I'm from Burkina Faso, <clears throat> which is a country located in West Africa. And as you can see, well, it's a landlocked country. And uh, basically Burkina Faso is a combination of two words in the Moray and Jula uh, language, and it means land of upright people. And it was formerly named Upper Volta. It was also a French colony, and it gained its independence in 1960, which explains the French language as an official language. So there are different tribes in Burkina Faso, and I am specifically from the Gurunsi tribe, and we represent about 5% of the population. And so when I was born, uh, a few months later, we moved to Togo where I spent about nine years and a half and then went to Kenya and came back to Burkina Faso. So although I am Burkina Bay, I've only lived there about four years before coming to the United States in 2016.
0: Yeah, and so fun fact, um, we actually both arrived in DFW at about the same time in 2016. I was going to TCU over in Fort Worth and she came straight to DBU and I studied nursing at TCU and I am currently a nurse. I actually just came here from a 12 hour shift so that's why I'm wearing scrubs and not something fancy like she is. (laughs) Oh my god.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I am about to graduate with my Bachelor's of Science in Biology. Um, I have applied to a Master's of Public Health uh, at UNT Health and Science. I'm still waiting to hear back. But long-term goal is definitely medical school. Now, story time, I guess, of how we met.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, that question people always ask, how did you meet? Well, we actually have a really good how we met story. And it's biblical and godly (laughs) and all of that. So back in January of 2019, we both signed up to go on a mission trip through the BSM and Go Now Missions, which is the, the Texas Baptist College mission sending board. Uh, And we both signed up to go on a medical mission trip to Haiti. And the goal of this trip was going to be to set up these mobile medical clinics in different villages in Haiti, and people from different colleges would form the team, either pre-med students or nursing students. And so I came as the representative from TCU, Dorcas was there as the representative from DBU. And we met for the first time in a Burger King in the airport in, of Miami International Airport. And you know, when I first saw Dorcas, she stood out to me. I didn't know that I was looking at the person that I was gonna end up falling in love with, but she was special in some way. And so over the course of the trip, we had a few conversations. Um, she asked me about my Myers-Briggs type And I couldn't remember the letters exactly, but I could describe the personality. (laughs) And we talked about the Enneagram and about her country. And I surprised her by actually knowing generally where it was on a map because I'm a geography nerd. (laughs) And um, by the end of the week, we had made enough of a connection that um, I wanted to see her again. And being a good Baptist boy I said hey would you like to visit my church with me sometime and she didn't believe that I actually meant to follow through with it but um, I I lasted about a week after we got back uh, looked up where DBU was saw that it was only 30 minutes away talked to my friends said you know what I'm gonna go for it Um, I'm gonna date this girl and so I invited her to get to church with me, and as we were driving there, I said, hey, would you like to go on a date with me after church? And so, um, after the service, we went to Chipotle, and the rest is history. Uh, That April, we made it official, boyfriend-girlfriend, and then last July, July 12th, I popped the question, and she said oui.
1: So, this is definitely my favorite story, you know, personally. (laughs) Um, So now we're going to dive into um, similarities and differences that we've noticed with ourselves, and we want to emphasize the fact that, you know, it is based on our experience, and we are not in any way a stereotype of uh, each other's culture. For example,
0: Um, I'm a pretty bad Texan. I don't even have a pair of cowboy boots, (laughs) so... For, for you Texans in the room, the things that I say about you know, my culture might not resonate totally with you, but we are influenced by our culture even if we uh, rebel against it in some places.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so the first point we wanted to point out is hospitality. In Burkina Faso, people can just drop by, by your house without announcing and you kind of like have to host them, meet their needs without having them to ask for it. Um, and, you know, basically, if we talk about food, for example, you just offer, you don't ask if they want to, because that can be perceived as rude or you not wanting them to say that they want it.
0: And f- for me growing up, hospitality was also important, but the emphasis <clears throat> was a little different because my family wanted people to feel as at home as possible whenever they would visit our house, and part of that was that they would feel comfortable to ask for things. Or even, you know, once they'd been over a couple of times to say, hey, if you want a snack, you can go into our pantry, or you can go to the fridge and grab something. And the goal was for them to feel comfortable, welcome, and as if they were in their own home. And then also in contrast to Burkina, whenever people come over, it's usually not a spontaneous occurrence it's usually planned and there's usually some kind of a purpose or a plan behind their visit so it's not just happening randomly Mm
1: -hmm. and so it's definitely important in both cultures and especially for like our families and our parents uh, but it is expressed differently
0: And one of the ways that we plan to sort of combine those two ethoses into, into our own marriage once we get married is that we're going to tailor our hospitality and our response to the expectations of the people that are coming. So if it's someone who is more used to Dorcas's way of hospitality, then we will pursue that. And if it's someone that is more used to mine, then then we'll do that as well and recognize that it's not, Um, necessarily better one way or the other but it's just how do we best love the people that we are being hospitable towards
1: Mm -hmm. so the second point that we uh, wanted to talk about is public versus private behavior and what's appropriate I guess (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah so for my family growing up we were generally very consistent in our public and private behavior so if something was inappropriate to do in public, then it was also inappropriate to do in private. And if it was something that we were okay doing in private, very rarely would my parents scold us, saying, oh, people can see you, people are watching. My brother and I um, are really close, and we would often you know, wrestle with each other, horseplay, just mess around. And um, we would do that in private, we would do that in public, and my parents were very free with allowing us to do that unless we were being actively disruptive during like a presentation or a quiet time or if we were like getting in someone's way or infringing on their personal space and so what other people thought of us as a family was very much a secondary concern whenever we were out in public
1: Mm -hmm. and so in contrast to him i tend to be a very private person And there are definitely some um, behaviors that I, unless we're close, I wouldn't display in public. And I definitely try to avoid things that might bring shame to my family. Basically, reputation is very important.
0: And that idea of bringing shame to your family also speaks well to the next point that we have, which is individualism and collectivism. So how does that relate in your culture?
1: Mm -hmm. I would definitely describe myself as being halfway individual and collectivist, but when it comes to Burkina Faso specifically, it is definitely a collectivist society in that there is a lot of dependence on the group and on the family, and the welfare of the group sometimes surpa- well, most of the time surpasses the welfare of the individual. Anything that you do will reflect on your group, either like your nationality, your tribe,
0: meanwhile here in texas we're the lone star state and the, we, there's a real big emphasis on that individualism and it kind of emphasizes itself in t- two different ways there's the you can't tell me what to do aspect of it and then there's the i rely on myself aspect of it so you can't tell me what to do because i have freedoms as an individual Um, I shouldn't be boxed in by societal expectations or even by, you know, what the government thinks in many cases. And then the uh, I rely on myself part is I don't necessarily think that there's a, think of the social fabric around me all the time. I don't want to be a beggar. I don't want people to have to give up stuff for me. And so that's where the individualism of America and especially the American South kind of comes in. And that doesn't mean that everybody follows that to a T. Obviously, in a family, there's support for each other and you care about what people who are close to you think. There's peer pressure that exists, but it's definitely an ideal that's emphasized in in America in a way that it definitely isn't in a lot of other countries.
1: Mm -hmm. Next point would be the notion of time.
0: And so in America, um, we are in some ways slaves to time, because we have to be punctual everywhere, and that's considered to be a virtue, because if you are not on time, it's almost like you're disrespecting someone else's time, because there's something more that they could be doing with their time, and efficiency, and punctuality, and cramming as many things into your day as possible is valued, because you can do, you can get more done and do it to it and so we're it's a very workaholic society that i grew up in and it's not necessarily as valued to take the time to kind of relax chill or even um, be late to an engagement every now and then
1: yeah in contrast to that uh, i'm sure you've heard of african time (laughs) which is an expression that denotes the idea that you know people are relaxed with their time and Obviously, that leads with tardiness um, to events and different meetings, and that's definitely something that Burkina Faso struggles with. (laughs) Um, And and there's this quote, actually, that says, uh, white men have the watch, but not the time. But we, as Africans, do not have the watch, but we have the time.
0: You know, it's a really great quote, because it kind of speaks to the pros and cons of both approaches, right? Because if you have the watch, then you can be that efficient, you can fit more things into your day, you can get a lot of things done, but you're not gonna have the time to relax, to think about things, to reflect and to breathe. But if you don't have the watch and you just have all the time, then um, you might live a more relaxed lifestyle, it might be better on your blood pressure, but occasionally things do have to get done and there's definitely a balance where, that it could go problematic. For example, so Dorcas, your family was building a new house over in Burkina um, over the past year and that was a pretty long process because you had some people who had time but no watches. (laughs) Do you want to talk about that?
1: Um, Yeah, so that was a very frustrating process because my parents were kind of like getting ready for us to come in December Um, However, uh, you know, people working on the house would give deadlines, but obviously not respected. They would say, oh, I'll come work, you know, this day, and nothing happens. And, you know, obviously that frustrated me because I did not understand why my parents kept them. And being here in the U.S., I saw how things were done a little differently, and I kind of liked that a little better. Um, But sometimes you just kind of have to deal with it.
0: And speaking of (laughs) houses, um, our last category that we're going to talk about where there are similarities (laughs) and differences is a bit of a fun one, but it's architecture. So, Mm -hmm. Dorcas, tell us about the architecture of Burkina.
1: So, houses in Burkina Faso are usually made of concrete um, with um, cinder blocks that have natural um, insulating qualities and
0: and that's a contrast to here in the US where almost every building is made with a wooden frame and then you put insulation in between and drywall and um, there's just all these layers that go into it and then the outside is either a wood paneling or or made of bricks and we do that because we have a lot more wood available here um, and it's you know, the buildings that they make out of the concrete are, they're very solid and, you know, you, you bang up on the wall and you're not going to hear any echo or anything. It's um, really interesting as someone who's used to these hollow walls to, to experience. But while I was over there, we actually noticed a very surprising similarity between the houses of Burkina and the houses of New Mexico. And that
1: Specifically the Gurunsi tribe. Yes, yeah. so Dorcas' <laughs> tribe, the Gurunsi,
0: have this traditional way of building houses where they make it out of mud and then put a plaster over it. And if you look at this next picture, it matches very closely a New Mexican style of architecture called adobe. And so over there on the left, you can see the Gurunsi building, which is made out of the same method and material as the adobe house next to it. They just painted theirs better, so um, points for style and art, artistry. But uh, if you go to a town like Santa Fe in New Mexico, there's actually a code that requires that every building be made out of adobe because, one, it's just a really efficient way to build your house. It's great for um, power consumption and keeping, keeping the cool in, but it also just looks pretty cool.
1: And I'm pretty sure you might be, you might be wondering how, I guess, we are kind of like breeding... Those cultural differences and things we kind of like came up with, I guess, would be you know embracing each other's culture, um, accepting each other's as individuals, and respecting the differences between us.
0: Yeah, and so embracing the culture it means that we recognize that culture itself and the differences that come with culture is something that's beautiful and it's something that god is pleased with if you look at revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 10 it talks about how people from every tribe every nation every language and people group are gathered before the lamb and praising him and so the fact that you have this apocalyptic vision of people from different tribes speaking different languages still embodying those cultural differences in Worship of God implies that God actually truly values this, and so we can follow through on that by recognizing that the differences between our cultures are something beautiful that we can that we can embrace and learn more about.
1: Mm-hmm. And when it comes to accepting each other as individual, we want to emphasize the fact that although we come with our culture and our background, we are not stereotypes of these, and you know each. Person is different and unique in its own way, and when it comes to respect, it's not because you're familiar with the culture that it is superior to a different one. Definitely, I saw that Taz respected me, my family, when he came actually to Burkina Faso in December, and um, it is a poor country, unfortunately. And I'm pretty sure he saw things that was you know unfamiliar, but he didn't condescend it in any ways. So. Um, like I said uh, he came to Burkina Faso and I'm very grateful that he was able to make the the trip we were able to unite ourselves (laughs) in front of the elders um, and so he got to discover where I'm from my home and technically we're married but not really at the same time
0: (laughs) so yeah Back this January, uh, we had the blessing of being able to go over to Burkina together. I spent about two weeks with her family and got to experience a lot of of what it has to offer. But the highlight of the trip for sure was the traditional wedding, which is in many ways for African Christians a, a celebration of the engagement. And so on that day, we all got together with people from her church, and we drove out to her father's village. And when we got there, they assembled the entire village and the elders. And um, I went before them and through a series of translators because we had to have someone who spoke French and English and then French and um, whatever, the, what's Lille. the Grunsee language? Lili. Lily. Um, so two translators to get to from the elders to me and they they interrogated us they asked us you know do you really love each other are you still gonna love each other whenever gravity wins a few battles and you're a little older or are you still gonna love each other if he gets sick or um, if she's not gonna be able to make money and we answered yes to all of those and they said well how is that gonna be possible and we said uh, because God is giving us the grace to to love each other and to make this promise to each other, and then came the the part for the the dowry or the bride price, which. Um, I have to emphasize it's symbolic, I, I do not own this woman. <laughs> but I, I gave them a sum of money and some, and some various gifts, and they said, well, it's not enough, you have to pay us more. She's worth more than that. And so I gave a little bit more, and they said, well, she's, she's worth more than that. And I kept giving and kept giving, and eventually they said, okay, okay, stop, stop. She's worth way more than anything you've got. If you brought all the money in the world, you wouldn't be able to purchase her from us but we recognize the symbolism of your love, and, um, and we're going we're gonna to bless your union. And then at that point, um, Dorcas took up a, a cola nut, which uh, is the, it's a nut that is highly caffeinated. It's used as a traditional medicine in the area, and it, the essence of it is what makes Coca-Cola a cola. And she took it, broke it in half, Um, took a bite herself and offered me a bite, and in the eyes of the village from this point on, we are united and um, neither of us is ever allowed to go back there again with somebody else and say, oh, sorry, the first one didn't work out, let's try again. And then after that, we had a big meal um, cooked by the women of the village, um, and there was a lot of dancing. And so there's um, us gathered with all the elders, And then on the next slide, you can see me showing off my dance moves with some of the locals. They had two bands, one from her mom's village. Those are the guys in yellow. And then down in the corner there is the the local village band. They had drums and horns and flutes, and it it was a blast. That's our, that's our talk, and like I said at the beginning, if any of you have any questions, we'll move into a question and response time now. First question was, how common are the adobe houses in New Mexico? Are they widespread? So like I said, in, in Santa Fe specifically, which is a uh, the capital, a pretty major city, there's an ordinance that requires every building to be in that style. In the town where my mom grew up, which is Socorro, it's a, it's a smaller town, I'd say get 25% of the buildings are made out of adobe. It was the traditional architecture of the Native Americans that lived there. And it just, it works really well in a hot climate because the the insulation abilities are really good you use less power to air condition and all that so it's a cool fact that that system which works so well was you know they came to it independently of each other these two tribal groups from across the ocean next question was are you going to get married here in the u.s too yes
1: yes we will um may 23rd it's going to be in denton so Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) be praying (laughs) (laughs) next question is how are you going to reconcile the cultural differences that you have and lots of communication we're actually going through some counseling right now with an African pastor who's been in the US for years and years and he's his goal is to kind of point out area areas of cultural blind spots we might have to just make sure that we address everything beforehand and in areas where we were raised differently or we talk about it and we come to a decision together on what we think would be best. And like I was mentioning with the hospitality thing, sometimes what's best isn't necessarily the same all the time. It might depend on the context we find ourselves in or on on what um, the other people may find appropriate.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's definitely important to kind of like put forth your our expectations mm-hmm. um, when it comes to, you know, those different issues or things that might come up in the future.
0: Yeah, something that might be considered really important for manliness or womanliness in one culture might not be as big of an expectation in another. And so it's a combination of expressing an expectation and then working together to find out whether that's something that's reasonable to expect of the other person and where we can compromise for the sake of, you know, greater unity and building our own family. Next question was, how frequently are you guys going to travel to Burkina Faso? I mean, as often as we're able to, um, it's so minimum once a year and potentially a couple more times than that. And then uh, we have we have an ultimate um, dream off in the distance. You want to tell them about that, Dorcas?
1: (laughs) Yes. So long-term goal, we do want to open a clinic um, in Burkina Faso, so, so kind of like uh, be able to work here, but also kind of like invest there to help out with the populations and yeah, hopefully yeah. <laughs> we'll get there one day.
0: And so if that happens, we might end up spending yeah. more time in Burkina than in the U.S. and be, it'd be more a question of how often do we visit my family and stuff. but. We'll be, we'll be praying about that and hoping for the opportunity to make it a reality. Mm-hmm. Next question was, are there any unreached people groups in Burkina Faso that we should be praying for? One group that could probably use some prayer would probably be the, the Fulani people, I believe, because one they're a majority muslim group and two they're primarily nomadic herds people and in the current climate over there there's um instability and terrorism and so while i was there we would often come to a street corner and um, her dad would point out and say oh those are some um, fulani children who are refugees in the city because um, the place where they were up north became unsafe for them. And so they could use prayer both for safety and also for being reached with the gospel. Next question is, how did both of you become Christians?
1: So I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, My dad's actually a pastor. And my mom was a Muslim, but she converted. Um, And one time, um, my main pastor in Burkina Faso, he uh, was just preaching, and he asked if someone, like, if you haven't received Christ, you know, you should come forth and do that. And that day, I was actually pretty shy. I'm I'm still shy, but (laughs) um, I did not want to go forth. But uh, he kind of, like, saw me hesitating, and he actually called me out in front of the whole church. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but um, that's basically how I got to, you know, got to know the Lord. Um, so later on, he kind of, like, pulled me apart and made sure I understood what co- what I was getting into, I guess, and, like, the commitment I was taking. So that's pretty much it.
0: Um, I professed faith and was baptized at a pretty young age, when I was about eight years old, I think. And I'm really grateful to my parents for the good example that they set for me and for um, the church that I grew up going to, um, being a place where I enjoyed going and, and stuff. Um, my journey of really being discipled and of sanctification, I think, Took a, took a major acceleration when I got to college. Um, I got connected to my church, which is Watermark Community Church, and with the BSM on campus and um, a couple of different people with that especially that really encouraged me to build spiritual disciplines like reading the word and praying and um, even fasting. and also gave me opportunities to learn how to share the gospel and to and to do it in different circumstances and so while i don't doubt my profession that i made as a child i would say that it's a you know an ever evolving and continuing journey that um, had a had a major boost that happened when i got to college And the final question is, have there been any cultural challenges that y'all have experienced already and have had to deal with? With regard to the hospitality thing, there was a little bit of an interesting thing regarding her expectations of how hospitality should be done compared to how my family likes to present hospitality. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we decided to talk about it tonight, was because, when my, fa- when my parents would say, make yourself at home, go get yourself something out of the fridge or something, she felt like she was being forced to work when she should have been um, sort of treated and treated well and offered stuff and given.
1: Um, I guess it's more like I felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. uh, going up and you know opening someone's fridge, uh, a, in a place that I was not used to, basically, and so that I did not want to do that. <laughs> um, it's still growing on me, but I think I'm I'm better at it now, yeah. definitely. And on my parents' side, I think it was it was okay, no. Yeah. yeah. Her, but,
0: I mean, her her parents both work for international yeah. organizations, travel a lot, and so any faux pas that I might have committed, they were gracious to um, to forgive. And I think there's a lot of understanding there, which I'm grateful for. Well, if that's all, I think that's a pretty good place to close it. I don't know if y'all do this here, but I feel like closing us in prayer. So if you would um, bow your heads with me, um, I'll just lift up just intercultural relationships in general and also the people in this room as you go forth and and, and pr- try to pursue each other well. So, uh, Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to just have this conversation and to share uh, the little knowledge and experience that you've given Dorcas and I. I ask that for all the people across the world who have relationships that cross cultural boundaries, that. You would um, allow them to embrace each other, to respect each other as individuals, and to just recognize those differences and what makes them good and respect them. Lord, I ask that for everyone in this room, in all of their relationships, that you would bring harmony and greater unity in your name, and that you would allow your gospel to be shared amongst Um, the myriad peoples and tribes and tongues that are on the earth so that one day we can all be in that great crowd praising your name together. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Front Porch Report is a passion project by a group of people who love Jesus and want to spread his word through in-depth Bible studies and Christian worldview analysis of current world events. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked this episode, give it a rating, share it with a friend so that we can continue to spread the word. Be safe out there, and we will catch you next
1: time.